Welcome to the Milk and Motherhood podcast, where we're having an ongoing conversation about breastfeeding, postpartum, parenthood, the challenges these can present, and the hope we have for overcoming them. I'm your host, Therese Dansby. I'm a registered nurse, international board-certified lactation consultant, and homeschooling mom of three. I believe that navigating the rough waters of early motherhood with wisdom, grace, and humility can grow each of us into the mothers we long to be. Welcome back to the show, guys. I am sitting here in front of my computer realizing it's been a while since I've recorded an intro. I've been really busy recording interviews for season two, and I'm popping in with a not-so-little bonus episode. I have referenced my birth stories in a lot of the season one interviews, and I haven't shared my birth stories here. I have, however, had the wonderful gift of sharing my birth stories on the Happy Home Birth podcast. And as I was sitting here thinking, how can I possibly like recreate that? I realized maybe I don't have to recreate it. I reached out to Caitlin and she was so gracious to just share the audio of our interview with me. And I'm resharing it here with you. So if you hear Caitlin interviewing me, you're on the right podcast. I just thought she did such a great job of covering the bases and doing it in such a compassionate way that why sit here and give you a monologue on birth stories when you could have a dialogue? So that's what this is. It is the story of my three births. If you understand the friend reference in the title, we can be friends in real life. If not, I just feel old. So here is my interview with Caitlin and all three of my birth stories. I will say that this was a while ago now. My baby is 15 months old right now, and this was recorded when he was only eight and a half or nine months old, which is wild because when you have a newborn, nine months just feels so far away. But I feel like I've had several guests that have mentioned nine months. It's just a real turning point somehow. And so when we had this interview, I was feeling a lot more like myself. I, the the baby finally had a nap schedule for the first time ever. And I felt like I'd come so far because I had come so far. But in hindsight, nine months was just a little bit of a plateau of me just catching my breath from really the uphill sprint that I had been doing after um, some postpartum trauma that I had after my third birth. And I, after this interview, as we approached his first birthday, I had another really big round of processing with the perinatal counselor and more brain spotting, more cranial sequel therapy, um, so much work. And you can hear my vulnerability and my pain in this interview and think that's good and normal. I love sharing the realness. And part of what I also like sharing here is the fact that we don't day and those really raw moments for better or for worse um we move through them i hope you glean that from this interview as you listen when you work yourself up to have a home birth and then those plans change last minute what do you do hey there happy home birthers and welcome to episode 193 of the happy home birth podcast i'm your host caitlin fusco and today we're speaking with my friend harice dansby Therese is a wife nurse, lactation consultant, and homeschooling mom of three. 
She recently moved from a big city to a small town in Nebraska, where she's thrilled to have found herself amongst plenty of homesteading, homeschooling, home birthing friends. Motherhood has been nothing like she expected, but as she rises to the challenge, she learns new things about her own strength and resilience in the process. This story that Therese is going to share is one of those challenging but so helpful and so informative stories, and it really showcases the strength of motherhood, just like Therese said, that strength and resilience that she learned in the process. Now, before we jump in, I don't want you to freak out, but (laughs) applications for the Home Birth Collective, our October through December cohort are officially open. I am so excited. The moms who were on the wait list have already received that information and they've begun applying. And so now I wanna make sure that all of you have the opportunity to go ahead and get started Get those applications in. You are welcome to send me a direct message if you've got any questions. You can do that on Instagram. That is the easiest way. And if you are not following me on Instagram at Happy Home Birth Podcast, jump on over and make sure that you are. And while you are at that profile, there's a little notification bell at the top right. Click that, go down to where it talks about live videos, and then click all live videos to get notifications for when I go live because over the coming weeks, there are going to be a number of live podcast episodes that I will be sharing directly on Instagram and inside of the Happy Home Birth Podcast Facebook community. So if you wanna watch it live, make sure that you are subscribed to get those notifications. We are going to be talking about all these different concepts that we really delve into inside of the Home Birth Collective. The things that really make this collective so unique and so different from childbirth education programs. I'm excited to share what I've learned. I'm excited to share what my students have learned through this process, and you're even going to get to hear from them in just a couple of weeks. So be sure that you're subscribed, be sure that you're listening, If you are ready to go ahead and apply, head to myhappyhomebirth.com forward slash collective. I will say that this has to be an intimate group of mothers who are very aligned. That being the case, I will be capping this. I want to keep the exact same feel that we had this time through, which has led to the hashtag roadtrip2023 trending inside of our group because these moms love each other so much. Not only have they gained intense self-knowledge, intense information about how to give birth in a very confident way and what physiological birth is like at home, they have also gained community and friendships that will 100% last a lifetime through. So if that's what you're looking for, if you know you need something different, for this home birth preparation experience, make sure you go ahead and get that application in or reach out to me. Like I said, Instagram's the easiest way. So myhappyhomebirth.com forward slash collective. All right, I think that's enough for now. Let's go ahead and start this discussion with Therese. And please remember that the opinions of my guests may not necessarily reflect my own and vice versa. And this show is not medical information. It's an educational tool. So continue to take empowered responsibility for your health and your family. Therese, thank you so much for coming on the Happy Home Birth Podcast. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to be here. 
I'm so excited to have you here. Would you take just a moment to introduce yourself to the listeners? Yeah, my name is Therese Dansby. I have been married for, I just did the math for you, 14 years next month. <laughs> um, yeah, we waited a little while to have kids. So um, our oldest is a boy who's eight, and our second is a girl who just turned five, and then our youngest is seven months old. And um, we live in Nebraska. I'm a lactation consultant, and we homeschool, and we're busy. Mm. <laughs> so busy, so many amazing mm-hmm. things. Yes. So I, I'm really excited because the fact that you are a lactation consultant, you have so much knowledge in that arena. And I would love for us to dig into that eventually, probably mm-hmm. we'll have you come back on the podcast and talk more about lactation. Mm-hmm. Um, but if anything comes up and you want to share it, please, please do so. Yeah. Yeah. But, so you said that you and your husband were together for quite a while before you decided to become parents. Mm-hmm. What was that decision like and how was your first pregnancy? Yeah, um, I don't even know if it was so much of an intentional decision at first. We just got married right out of college and we're working and moving and in grad school. And, you know, eventually our parents stopped asking us when we were going to have kids. <laughs> um And then uh, when we did, we were very fortunate to get pregnant right away. And um, I had a pretty good pregnancy. I um, was a NICU nurse first. And so I had been a NICU nurse for seven years by the time I got pregnant with him. Um, And right before I got pregnant with him, I had been in grad school and I worked at a high risk OB office, which not the best place to work when you're about to have a baby. So I left that job right before I got pregnant with him. And then while I was pregnant with him, I worked in the NICU and at a midwife led birth center just to see both ends of the spectrum. Um, So I was doing, I, I was in some deliveries there, but mostly I was doing their postpartum home visits. Oh, Um, yeah, so it, it was it was a nice contrast. It was a very nice contrast in pregnancy to just okay, I have all this all this knowledge of like everything that can possibly go wrong, and it was really nice too. I mean, I think I started the birth center job like the week that I got pregnant, so it was good timing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so that really normalized a lot of things for me. Um, and pregnancy with him was good, but it was you know in hindsight, I was too busy. I was working two jobs. One of them was night shift. I, we bought a house in our third trimester. We moved. Our house was a fixer upper. So I was like hanging drywall at 34 weeks pregnant. It wasn't, it wasn't the best idea. As you do. I I did the same thing. It wasn't that intense, but we moved into, we bought my husband's grandparents house okay. and so like when we moved in it was very grandparenty and yeah. <laughs> we were, yeah. this was like October my daughter yes. was born in December it was like this yes. is a lot yes and ours was so it was a tiny house and we gutted half of it and so we couldn't live in it even so I was like not nesting in my third trimester I was just kind of bouncing around with a suitcase to different families houses it was not it was not ideal so we moved in when I was 37 weeks pregnant and then um my brother one of my brothers got married when I was 38 weeks pregnant and then I went into labor at 38 and four so the nursery (laughs) the nursery was not unpacked (laughs) nothing nothing was ready yeah Oh, wow. Okay. So what was that 
experience? Like when you went into labor, what was mm-hmm. it like? And what kind of care did you have during your pregnancy? I forgot to ask. Oh, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Great question. Um, it's so it's, it's funny to think how far I've come. Um, because I had worked in the high risk OB world for so long, I, um, I was seeing a doctor who was like adjacent to that clinic, right? Like she bounced back and forth between both of them. And I felt like I knew I wanted to have a natural childbirth. I'd known that ever since nursing school. And so um, I got all the way through my 20 week ultrasound and then at, everything was looking great. And at 20 weeks, she said I had a sex placenta, which is like an extra lobe. And so I was like, oh, okay, now I'm going to stay with you through 28 weeks and make sure that that ultrasound is good. And I just felt like it had to be super low risk before I transferred to a midwife at a different practice at a different hospital. Um, and, and I felt like such a rebel. It's so funny. I was just transferring to a certified nurse midwife in an OB practice in a huge hospital across town. We lived in Kansas City at the time. Um, but it just felt so like, different. (laughs) Um, And I was nervous about it. Like I, I was nervous to even tell my family like, Oh, I'm, I'm having a midwife deliver my baby instead of a doctor. I mean, it was, I have a lot of doctors in my family. And so um, I, I felt like a rebel for even choosing that. So I switched to her at um, 28 weeks though, that ultrasound came back normal. And, um, and it was so, it was already automatically different. Like I didn't feel rushed at the end of every appointment. She would like sit down and look me in the eyes and say like, what else do you want to talk about today (laughs) before she left the room? I mean, it was just, it was really great. I really, I really needed that. Um, just to kind of be seen and heard more, um, and not be, I was no longer getting care at the hospital I worked at. It was a hospital I didn't work at. So I could just be more the patient and not like, oh, here's my nurse brain. And here's, um, I could just be like a first time mom. Right. So, yes. So that was really helpful. Um, And then at that time, I hired a doula as well and um, just waited it out then. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So what what tipped you off into the fact that you were you know, in that early labor kind of phase? Yes. So it's so funny in hindsight, I was so in denial because my work experience kind of told me that babies come before 37 weeks or like oh. after 41 weeks. And so, whereas we know most babies come actually between those times, but to me, when I didn't deliver early, I was like, oh, it'll be a while. So I woke up um, 5 a.m. one morning and to go to work in the NICU and I went to the bathroom and my mucus plug had come out and I was like, oh, OK, you know, I don't think I'm in labor. It's fine. That can happen. And I went to work and during report, I started having contractions. I had a lot of Braxton Hicks with him, probably. I mean, I wasn't sleeping. I was on my feet a lot. So I was like, okay, these are just getting more intense. I'd been on my feet all weekend for my brother's wedding. And um, I was like, okay, this is fine. So just going through the day. But I started timing them at some point. And I was texting my doula. But I was like, I'm not in labor. It's just like a false alarm. Um, I had a baby that day who was had been a full-term baby, was just in the NICU for like 48 hours. And the mom was like, oh, how far along are you? And I told her and she's like, uh, you're going to want to get an epidural when you get in right away because that stuff hurts. And I was like, 
I mean, I might be in labor right now, but it's fine. (laughs) Um, And I went home and like picked a fight with my husband. I was like, you need to take the day off tomorrow because nothing is done and I'm going to have a baby soon. And it's so funny. I was just like, I'm not in labor. And, but when I gave report to leave work that day, I couldn't even sit down. I was like, not labor. I was like breathing through it. Like I'm not in labor. It's fine. I'm just so tired. I'm like, I'm going to go home and drink a bunch of water and take a Benadryl and take a shower and go to bed. And I did, I did do all those things. In hindsight, I'm like, I think I know I was in labor because I did throw some stuff in a hospital bag, but really I was, if you had asked me, I was not in labor. And um, that night I I went to bed, I slept a little bit. I was having like that weird sleep where you're having contractions in your sleep and I would kind of wake up and then fall Mm -hmm. like, at one point I did wake up and I was like praying God do not I am not ready to have this baby like do not do not do this today um so I got up then the next morning uh, and I had been having regular contractions at least 10 minutes apart for 24 hours at that point I mean I tried to walk to the backyard it was summer to grab some like kale to put in my smoothie and I was like this really hurt like walking hurts <laughs> and but it's just, not labor <laughs> but it's not labor like I'm just really uncomfortable and um <clears throat> it's funny my doula kn- probably knew my personality because she was like do not call me from the hospital and tell me that you're in labor I was like I won't <laughs> I would never. and no and so at some point the contractions were so intense that like they were probably squeezing a little bit of urine out. But I was like, did my water break? Did it not? So I finally went in because I thought maybe my water broke. Um, So we got to the office. The elevator was like broken. So we had to walk up four flights of stairs to the midwife's office. So I think if I wasn't for sure in labor, I was in labor by then. Um, so my midwife comes in and I'm like bent over the exam table. She's like, I thought we were just checking your water, but it looks like you're in labor. I'm like, Oh, we just walked up the stairs. It's fine. So she checked me and she said, your water's not broken, but you're dilated to a six. So I know she was like, we're going to admit you. And they pull the wheelchair in and I just looked at it and she was like, you don't want to sit down, do you? And I was like, no. So we walked to the hospital and like had a baby four hours later. So it felt, it was 30 hours of labor, but it felt really fast because I didn't really think I was in labor. So (laughs) denial helps sometimes. Oh yes. Yes. So I did call my doula from the hospital. I was like, I'm at a six and I'm getting admitted right now. (laughs) So it was, it was great. It was what I needed though. It was fine. Yeah. Oh wow. So that delivery, you feel like that was a really good experience like was there anything were yes. there any hiccups or was it no it was really good it, it was very straightforward and it, it was really everything I could have asked for and it's funny because my decision to have him in the hospital um, where there was a level three NICU was very intentional because I'd had friends who had had home birth Kansas is very home birth friendly and you know I was like that's great you had a home birth and all these moms at the birth center I'm like that's great I just knew in the back of my head that every NICU delivery I'd ever been to was going to be there. And I felt like, and it was a very intentional decision. I felt like I was not going to progress unless I knew that there was a NICU down the hall. 
And and so it was a very intentional decision. I felt very safe. I felt in control of my decision. Um, I was able to get in the tub, um, labor in the tub, and that was amazing. And and even the breaks, I think it's funny because I'd attended hundreds of deliveries, but it was always the very end. And so I'd never really seen moms in labor, just the very end. And I was like, I can't be in labor because it doesn't hurt that bad. You know, and I was getting breaks between contractions and um, I just, you know, got in the tub and every break between contraction, I was able to relax. And um, at the very end, my water broke and I had to get out of the tub to be monitored. And um, my midwife checked me again and I was at a 10 and she was like, you can push. And I suddenly got very afraid to push. So um, I'd had a lot of pelvic pain. I couldn't have told you it was pelvic pain. I thought it was just the hip and back pain. So I was like, if I push, this is going to hurt worse. (laughs) Um, So I really essentially was just laboring down, though, and it was fine because then I don't think I knew what the fetal ejection reflex was at that time, but I really just didn't push until that kicked in. And then I was like, oh, I learned, I learned what yeah. it was. Like, oh, this is, this is easy. I just could not fathom pushing him out like with my abdominal muscles. And then that kicked in and I thought, oh, okay, this is fine. Um, and he, he, I unfortunately was on my back in like that kind of typical hospital birthing position. Um, and, but he, he came out great happy, healthy. Um, I was just still a little bit in shock from it all, but it was a really good, um, first experience for, for what I had wanted. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to bring up, I think it's really important for mothers to hear that and, and understand how you knew, like number one, Mm -hmm. you were aware of home birth. It sounds like, Mm -hmm. I mean, it was on your radar, but Mm -hmm. for you, no, the, the place that you were going to feel safest, the place that mm-hmm. you were going to be able to open up and have that vulnerability that is required for birth was at the mm-hmm. hospital. And I mm-hmm. think that sometimes we can get into these mindsets of like, you know, well, no, like home birth is the only way, like that's mm-hmm. the only way. It's the only right answer. That's, mm-hmm. you know, it's everything. And what's really everything is being where you feel most comfortable mm-hmm. and most supported. And maybe yeah. that's at home. Maybe it's with a midwife that you love and trust. Maybe it's not. Maybe mm-hmm. it's at the hospital. Whatever yeah. it is, that ability to be able to open up and be mm-hmm. vulnerable and feel as safe as you can in that experience is is critical. So thank you for bringing mm-hmm. that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I, it, yeah, I felt totally in charge of my decisions and and it was the right one for him. And I did get lucky that it, it was a very straightforward delivery. And I waited a while to go in. And um, the only hookup was at after he came out. And everything's great. Like, everybody's fine. I saw them hang a bag of something. And I was like, what are you hanging? And they're like, oh, we just hang Pitocin after every delivery. And at the time, I was like, okay. And then when I got to my second one, I thought, I'm going to ask about this because that doesn't feel right. But um, that was the only thing that I was like, wait, what's going on? Why are you doing doing this? And I was like, am I, am I bleeding? And they were like, no. (laughs) So so, (laughs) that was a little red flag, but everything before that was, was great. I mean, the tub was great. Um, My doula was very helpful. I just, yeah. 
it was good. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. So then what happened your second time around? What, mm-hmm. when you became pregnant the next time, what was that like? Yeah. So we waited a little while compared to our friends, which is apparently a theme. Um, I had had a lot of pelvic pain, a lot of postpartum anxiety. Um, he was colicky. We just had a lot to deal with. So we didn't um, even try to get pregnant again until he was two and a half. So they were a little over three years apart. But um, my pregnancy with her was harder. I had a toddler. I was tired. Um I was much more nauseated. I just, it was harder. Um, At that point, I was also a lactation consultant. I was no longer a NICU nurse. Um, I had had trouble breastfeeding my oldest and we, um, I just went all the way down the rabbit hole and. (laughs) I feel like that's how it happens. With like becoming a doula, it's like, if you have an experience that changes you, Mm -hmm. I actually have a friend uh, who is, in the process of becoming an IBCLC and that was their story too. Yeah. And they were able yeah. to work through it and it was yeah, just, you know, it encouraged her so deeply. Yes. And it was such a great shift for me to, to be working with healthier babies and um, it was great. So um, that's what I was doing while I was pregnant with her. And at that time I was working at the hospital that I had delivered my son. At. I, cause I just, I liked it. I liked it there. Um, I had the same midwife. I had the same doula. I and I I kind of regret now I did not rethink the decision of where to have my child. I think I probably could have come to the conclusion that my body did this great the first time. I didn't need the NICU. Maybe I could have considered the birth center or something like that, but I, I didn't really even think about it. I just thought, okay, we'll have the same midwife, the same doula, it'll it'll be the same thing. Yeah. My big anxiety with her was when, you know, if labor's faster, how am I going to get to the hospital while I have this toddler? And um, that was my main concern. But um, ironically, I didn't need to worry about that because <laughs> with her, my water broke. So my first was 38 and four. Um, and then with her at 38 and two, my water broke. Um, uh, and I just, with her, none of this felt traumatic at the time. And none of it I really even was just examining it because she just turned five and I was kind of going through her birth story. It really was not traumatic. There were just a lot of like, to me, it was not traumatic, but there were a lot of like blips in the system and red flags and things that I probably could have taken more ownership over and didn't. But um, one of them was at my 38 week appointment, which was actually at 38 and two, I was like, sure, go ahead and check me. I'll, you know, just to know. And I, honestly, that I do wonder if that is why my water broke that night. I don't know if it would have otherwise. Yeah. So because um, my water broke and I didn't go into labor and I was like, what the heck? I've done this before. <laughs> this is not my first child. Why am I not going into labor? And the midwife on call um, was actually, interestingly, one that I had worked with at the birth center who was now at the hospital and she, the hospital protocol was something like six hours. You have to come in after your water. Yeah. Like a very short amount of time. Um, And she was like, 
It, no, it might have even been four hours. It was something very short. Like if your water breaks and and your labor hasn't started, like you have to come in for an induction and it's emergent. <laughs> yeah. And Whoa. so, you know, and so I'm over here like, okay, I was GBS negative. Um, I was healthy, full-term pregnancy. The water was clear. There was no meconium. Like in hindsight, what do you have? Like 24 to 48 hours. But it's I was just longer. Yeah. I, I think because it was the hospital I worked at, like my people pleaser kicked in and I was like, I don't want to be that person. So I guess I'm going to follow the rules. But she kind of, quote unquote, did me a favor. And she was like, you can wait eight hours before coming in. Solid. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I'm at home just like freaking out. Like there's no way I'm going to go into labor at this point because my stress hormones are so high. I'm just like, why isn't my body doing this? So, but you know, the bright side is that my mom had time to get there from three hours away. Yeah. <laughs> and I talked to my toddler in and tried walking around. I mean, nothing was, nothing was going to start labor. So we went to the hospital and got checked in and got continuous monitoring all night long and kind of the same thing. They were like, we're going to do you a favor and not start. So you had to start continuous monitoring pretty quickly, but you didn't have to start Pitocin for like 18 hours. And they like, no, no, not 18 hours. That would have been nice. I think it was 12 hours that you had to start the Pitocin if your labor hadn't started. And um, again, they kind of were like, we'll just let you wait till day shift again. So it had been, I don't know, 15 or 16 hours. Um, I just, the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> but wait, again, like I, was, <laughs> I know. Yeah. I was just in my like, people pleaser okay. mode, which yeah. is not a good mode to be in when you're having a baby. Yeah. Um, so it just went down the hole. We started the Pitocin. It hurt a lot because my water had already been broken. I did not have an epidural, which I don't, I don't know that I would recommend having Pitocin without an epidural again. Right. <laughs> um, and your water broken. It was very intense. The whole thing was it went a lot faster and it was much more intense because my water was broken because of the Pitocin. They did turn it off pretty quickly because my contractions were taking over. Um, I don't think it got above like a four, honestly. I, it was it was pretty low and they did stop it, but it was intense. Um, and again, they were doing all the internal exams. I think I went from like a three to a seven and just an hour something my mid my doula was like yeah that's gonna feel rough <laughs> um and this this labor I had told my doula and midwife beforehand I want to try laboring in different positions or pushing in different positions because I tore with my son and it took some rehab and um I I was disappointed they were like okay I think the doula had me get on my side with like a peanut ball and that didn't feel right. And that was the extent of our trying. Yeah. So I had just loved this team the first time. And the second time I was like, this isn't really what I had envisioned. Um, with her, I was so ready to be done. I did kind of start pushing when they um, told me I could. <laughs> uh, and then then the thankfully the fetal ejection reflex did kick in again with her um 
And once she was out, I was just like instantly more comfortable, instantly less stressed. It's funny because my labor with her was so much stressful, but my postpartum with her was so much better. Uh, I mean, we bond, yeah, like we bonded really easily. I just knew what to expect with the baby at home. And um, that was my experience with her. So it was kind of the inverse of with my yeah. first. Yeah. Yeah. That, that totally, yeah. I mean, that, the fact that you were able to have a quality postpartum after mm-hmm. experiencing something like that, I'm sure that was mm-hmm. such a relief. Yeah. Yeah. Because this time I knew to make freezer meals and I knew to ask for help and I knew mm-hmm. to stay in bed. I think with my son, I was up trying to walk around and trying to work out at six weeks and all the mm-hmm. things. And this time I was like, no, nope, we're going to rest. That yeah. is, I, I feel like it can be so frustrating when it's like, and I learned by doing it, not yes. quite the best. Yeah. That's exactly how I was. Yes. First yeah. one. And and it's hard when it's like, you you know the things too. I knew. Yeah. Yes. But it's like, but that doesn't apply to me or I don't understand the yeah. depth <laughs> of what that means. Like, yeah. it's like, oh yeah, I'm resting. Like, no, you're up in the kitchen. Like, that's not, yeah. it's not resting. Yes. Um, so, and, yeah. Yeah. And you know the book knowledge, but you don't know what it feels like in your body. And so you're like, I'm not pushing it where it's really like, I was in a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. I probably should have listened to that. And I didn't. So I remember Mm -hmm. taking with after my first taking one step too far, like my husband and I had decided to go to Target. Why? Mm -hmm. I don't know. It was like five days after the baby was born. We had nothing to get. Like we just went. And I remember being at the back of the store. And it was like one step. And I was like, well, oh, that no. was my last step. <laughs> that was the last yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. now, now what? Now I got to get out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. golly. Yep. So yes. everyone listening, it really mm-hmm. means something. It's, it's yes. so what you think it means, multiply mm-hmm. it by like four. Yes. <laughs> yes. Then you're probably closer to the ballpark. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. It really means like in bed four or five mm-hmm. days. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I have a lot of moms cause I teach newborn and breastfeeding classes and yeah, they're like in bed for five days. And I'm like, it's going to feel good. I promise. Mm-hmm. Like you're, it's hard to imagine right now while you're doing all the things, but you're going to, you're going to be okay relaxing in bed and sleeping. And you will miss yeah. it when it's gone. Yes. Yes. Because then all of a sudden the world is like, oh, you're back to normal. The baby's out. Let's do this and that and the other. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Wow. Well, I'm glad that that one was um, a little a little easier on you. So then mm-hmm. then let's talk about in, in between time. So what happened mm-hmm. between that second pregnancy and then your most recent birth? Yeah. So a lot. A lot happened. <laughs> um, we... Um, my husband and I went through a really stressful period in our marriage and we were actually separated for a while. And so I thought I was not ever going to have a third baby. And I, so I actually mourned that for a long time. And we went through some really intensive counseling and um, everything was going a lot better. And we decided to move to Nebraska, be a little closer to my family Um she feels weird to like, I'm like summarize everything like that. That was like two years of really hard stuff, but, right. um, <laughs> but yes, <laughs> yes. Um, and it, it, we had done a lot, a lot of emotional work and um, we moved here and we were like in a good place and kind of really excited for not 
a manufactured fresh start, but like we have worked hard and we are in a good place and like, let's have our life reflect that. And so we moved on March 1st of 2020 and we all know what happened like two weeks later. (laughs) It was, it was not the best timing. So um, it was, it was pretty stressful. And I still did not necessarily think we were going to have another baby. I turned 34 and then I turned 35 and I was like, okay, you know, (laughs) Um, and then, then we finally reached a point where the pandemic stress was going down and we were starting to feel more at home here. And we were like, okay, now, now's the time we're going to have another baby. And um, we got pregnant in March of 2021. And um, yeah, now he's seven months old. I don't know how that happened. But I don't, I don't either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it's, it's a bigger gap They're The second and third are four and a half years apart, which is a lot. So, and then you and I met during that time through, you know, freely rooted and pro metabolic. <laughs> yes. And I was doing a lot to kind of recover my health after that really stressful season. And um, I felt like physically and emotionally I could handle another pregnancy. So, yeah. And then what was that? What was that pregnancy like? Yeah, it was just different from the get go. (laughs) I had. um, Oh, my gosh. um, the word it wow okay um he doesn't sleep very well I had I had a lot of spotting in my first trimester oh. which I never had with the other two and so um okay so let me back up so we moved to a small town and like one of the very first people I met was like um super pregnant and then the next time I saw her she was like had her baby I was like, oh, where'd you have your baby? Oh, at home. It was like, you know, hi, Leslie. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to have friends here that do that too. And still just like, okay, cool. That's awesome. Good for you. And then when we actually started thinking about having a third one, I remember telling my husband, like, just so you know, when we get pregnant, I'm going to be talking to you about home birth. Mm-hmm. And he's very not medical, very like um, just we actually live. So we live in a small town. It's like 8000 people, but we live two blocks away from the hospital. And mm-hmm. so I think that was my saving grace. He was like, I feel like I could drive you to the hospital in 30 seconds if I needed to. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? Whatever makes you feel better. Yeah. So um Nebraska is very home birth unfriendly. So um, I was glad that I had this kind con- because you can't even find the midwives. Right. I mean, you have to be underground. Yeah, very underground and even more so now. So um, so thankfully, I knew people and they um, connected me and I called the day I got pregnant because with COVID more people than ever are wanting to deliver at home. And I called her the day I got pregnant. I was like, I know it's early, but I just want to reserve you for November delivery, December delivery. Um, So I started seeing her right away, but also because of the spotting, I did see a provider at the hospital down the street as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, but 
I was just so excited for it to be different. I was pretty burnt out. I had left the hospital by that point and was only doing private practice. And um, I worked in the NICU again briefly when we moved and just every mom was getting induced like so they could get their COVID test. And I just did not want to do that. So um, that was kind of my final deciding factor to um, having a home birth was just like, I'm not going to get induced on somebody's schedule and wear a mask for my whole labor and and all of that. So um, yes, yeah. And it was nice though to even have the doctor down the street. So even when I went to the doctor's office, I still walked. It didn't feel as annoying as previous prenatal visits did. So, yeah. You got to be outside for all, you got to decompress. Yeah. And- <laughs> yeah. And the doctor, I never thought I would see a doctor, let alone a male, but um, it was just a local homeschooling family and he was really respectful. And um, I just, oh, I like knew that I could decline internal exams and anything else I wanted to decline. So (laughs) I got my prenatal labs and my 20 week ultrasound and all that stuff. Just again, to reassure myself, I was low risk because of course, by then I was like advanced maternal age, quote unquote. And yeah, (laughs) that age, (laughs) old, old 35. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I really loved having my midwife appointments because they were like an hour long and I just felt like a new mom all over again. And I told her, I was like, I'm sorry, I'm just relearning everything I ever learned. So bear with me. Yeah. Excuse me. Well, I have a massive paradigm shift. (laughs) Yes, very much so. So yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. So how Mm -hmm. did that pregnancy progress? Yeah. Thankfully, the bleeding... Um, ended by the end of the first trimester. Um, and I mean, I was just tired. I was tired. I was homeschooling older kids by that point. Um, and yeah. And I think there was also an underlying sense of like, this is too good to be true kind of, um, which is a little bit of like a trauma mindset, but I had to work through a lot of that. I did a lot of counseling while I was pregnant and tapping and um things like that so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that that is tough to work through i I love Mm -hmm. that you bring that up and i think that that's something that we can all kind of remember for ourselves is when we are experiencing probably i mean you know like the the chronic trauma mindset as well like Mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean something's happening right now it's just that our body is stuck in this state of fight or flight possibly from our own birth experience through now oh yeah seriously yeah it's crazy and and um, our vagus nerve may not even be online so yes being willing to take pregnancy as a time to look into that and look into healing Mm -hmm. um oh that's huge so that that's amazing you were able to do that yes yeah, yeah, I was really, um, I was grateful. So there was a lot of processing in pregnancy. There had been a lot before that. And um, I did end up continuing to see the doc because at that point I was like, why not? You know, like just, um, and probably it was my saving grace in the end, which we'll get to. But um, I just kind of went there to check a box and, um, then would come home to my midwife appointment the next day. And, and to be clear, when I say midwife, they're not midwives. 
there in Nebraska, midwives are not allowed to deliver at home. It was a birth provider, quote unquote, but I just, I'm saying midwife for the ease of understanding. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I got care with her um, all the way through 38 weeks. And then um, Nebraska as a state decided to like, quote unquote, close some loopholes and they sent letters out to all the providers. Um, I honestly don't even know all the legalities of it because I was so emotionally affected. I'm like, I'm not in a place to like lobby for change right now. But um, thankfully, there are people who are. But so they were closing loopholes and sending out letters that midwives were misrepresenting themselves and and this and that and the other. And my midwife's lawyer was like, you should probably um, uh, stop delivering until you kind of clear your name. I mean, nobody had done anything wrong. It was just the state that we live in. Mm-hmm. So um, so at 38 weeks, she had to cancel my contract and I was not well <laughs> with that decision. <sighs> yeah. And so my other two, so I 38 and four with one, 38 and two with the other. I was like, okay, I'm going to have a 38 weeker. And now you're telling me that I'm not delivering my baby like I thought I was. I mean, I had my home birth cart set up um, I mean, I was just like, we had like recocked the bathtub. I just like everything was all ready to go. I had told my family, which I was really nervous about. I just, um, it was, I cried a lot. <laughs> um, and the baby, it's funny because the baby was really low. I'd been having prodromal labor where I could like time my contractions in the evening. And after she left my house that day, the baby like went jumped back up and I did not have any contractions for like 48 hours. Um, not a single Braxton hook. So um, it was a big pivot. So I am thankful that I had had a provider already. I kind of did a last minute scramble. Like, do I want to go to a midwife at the hospital? I don't think anybody would have accepted me at a 38 week transfer. Um the only other home birth attendant was somebody who lived in another state. And I was like, are they even going to get here in time? Um, I I don't know that we would have, I don't know that free birth was right for us, but certainly was not right with zero time to prepare. Um, Some people were like, you could go to another state and get an Airbnb. And I was like, well, then it's not a home birth. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If I'm leaving my house for me, if I'm leaving my house, it's it's not the birth that I had envisioned. So um, I had a very cheerful talk with the doctor at the hospital. And I was like, this is what I want. And I had just told him at like 37 weeks, by the way, I'm not delivering with you. Of course you had. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, just kidding. I'm going to be delivering there. And he's, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he's so sweet because he I think that um, not a lot of moms here um, deliver naturally. And I think he was excited because he's an advocate for that. And he was like, OK, well, you know, we're here if you need us. <laughs> then when I was like, I'm coming back, he was kind of excited. It was it was sweet. I'm like, OK, at least you're excited about this. I'm yeah. not. But um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I, and I wrote a birth plan, which I had never done before, but I was like, I just assumed the birth plan with my second because the first went so well. And I just assumed 
everybody was on the same team with the second and that wasn't the case. So, um, but I also, the nurse in me was like, if I come in with a five page birth plan, they're all going to roll their eyes at me. And um, again, my fear of being that person, that patient, whatever that is. And um, my nurse brain and my like mom brain don't exist in the same plane. Yeah. And so um, that's always been a little hard for me. So my plan was really, it's yeah, just frustrating. It's frustrating to just know. I mean, you know, and I have heard it from a number of nurses that have been interviewed that, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, a lot of times the stereotypes are true. Like yes. a lot of times yeah, they are like, yeah, they're going to yeah. laugh at that birth plan. And it's yes. just like, what a sad reality yeah. that that is. It is sad. And it is sad. And and some of it is like, even with my first, it, it was an amazing birth unmedicated everything I wanted and at the end of it I wasn't like I'm so great I just thought like wow I'm so lucky because birth is so wild and I'm like I don't think I could have just like changed how something was going you know and so um so I wrote a birth plan this time and across the top of it I just I was like I'm a nurse. I'm a lactation consultant. Basically, like, I know what I'm doing. Leave me alone. And I said, I want this birth to be as home birth like as possible. That was at the top of my birth plan. And so then I just had a yes column and a no column. It was really short. And um, the yes column was like, um, I want the light stem. And, you know, um, I don't even remember everything else that was on it. And then I had a maybe column and it was like, maybe I want a saline lock IV. Um, the, the yes column, they had tubs there. It was a very short little birth plan, but um, my conversation with the doctor was longer. So. Um, and were you confident that yeah. he was going to be the one that was on call for you? Yes, I was. I actually did ask him that too. And I had never asked him that before because I wasn't that worried about it. <laughs> but yes, he was like, it's a it's a pretty small practice. So they really like to take their own. Um, I think that hospital only does like 50 or 60 deliveries a year. Wow. Whereas, yeah. So the hospital I had worked at previously in Kansas City was like um, hundreds of deliveries a month. So it's very different. So yeah, they take their own patients, which is really nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. So that that was 38 weeks. (laughs) Um, And then I hit my due date for the first time ever. And um, I was like, what? I don't understand what's happening. This has never happened to me before. Um, So that was a little bit of a mind trip. I did. um, I totally understand the people who are like any induction method is still an induction method. But I was like, I mean, I've hit my due date. I think I can go get some induction acupuncture. (laughs) And I did, and it didn't do anything. And um, I did, this is kind of funny. My doctor doesn't work on Mondays. um, So I called on a Monday and I was like, can I have the female doctor strip my membranes? And she did, and it was fine. And she was like, you're at a, I think I was at a three. Um, Yeah, I was at three centimeters, but I still didn't go into labor. I mean, I I had hired a doula by that point as well. I didn't hire one before because my 
midwife had a assistant and um, we had talked through that decision. So, okay. So I had, um, hit 41 weeks by this point, which I was like, it's not that late. It's not that late. But for me, when I was expecting a 38 weeker, I was like, I'm like three weeks overdue at this point. Yep. Um, it was just, it's funny because it was, so he was due December 2nd. So in my head, I was like, I'm gonna have a November baby. Mm-hmm. We had wrapped up our homeschool term, like before Thanksgiving, we had actually told the kids big mistake, like, we're gonna have a baby by Thanksgiving. And my daughter, who was four, was like very literal, like, where's the baby? And, um, oh, what did she say? When I went to my, I think it was my 40-week appointment, I was like, I'm going to go. And she was like, don't forget to tell them that the baby forgot he was supposed to come out. I was like, (laughs) I'll let him know. Yep, that is that's what it feels like. She was, I think they had just like, get, they're like, oh, okay, we're not going to have a baby then. Like just, okay. I don't know what these people are talking about, but um, especially her, she was just like, you said the baby is going to be here and it's not. And then one day at dinner, my husband was like, let's all place bets on when the baby's going to be here. And I was like, okay. Um, and his was the farthest out. His was December 6th and the baby still wasn't here. And I was like, okay, guys. So um, so 41 weeks felt like very late to me. And um, I went in that day and they did like a non-stress test. And um, I remember just sitting there and my, and my doctor was great, but I could tell even he, because at that point... I was 36, so old, um, and at that point, he was, I could tell my doctor was getting a little nervous, too, like, until you're 41 weeks, like, you're, there are risks that are associated with going past this point, and I was just like, I don't think I realized how much I didn't want another Pitocin induction until it became an actual reality, and I was like, did my body actually forget how to go into labor? Like, so now I have two babies worth of evidence telling me that like my body doesn't know what to do. So here I am having rebuilt all this trust on my butt in my body thinking like, just kidding. The first one was a fluke. And now I'm just, these are the thoughts that go through your head. (laughs) So I was getting the NST and just sitting there enjoying reclining in the little squishy recliner without my other kids around. And I started like envisioning going into labor because I was like, I've done so much counseling, so much journaling, so much processing, like none of this is working. And so I actually envisioned like in the outfit that I was in, like just tucking the kids in that night and like going into labor and because I had nothing else to do while I was sitting there. Um, so I went home and everything was still the same. The doctor was like, can we get an induction date on the calendar? Like just, and I was like, I don't want a Pitocin induction. And so he walked me through kind of the other options that he was comfortable with. And I was like, fine, 41 and six. 41 and never. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, 41 and six, fine. Mm -hmm. Like put it on the calendar. And I was just so... I was mad that I was still pregnant at that point. Like my journal entry that night was like 
very angry mm-hmm. um and like angry at god angry at my body like everything feels so big and heavy at that point and um i went to bed as usual you know every night at the end you're going to bed i never reached this point with the other two but you're going to bed like is tonight the night maybe tonight's the night you know all excited and prodromal labor and timing your contractions and that night I did have some more contractions, but I'd had so much prodromal labor by that point. I was like, whatever. <laughs> um, I went to bed and I woke up at 1.45 with fluid trickling down my legs. And I was like, I've never been so happy in my life. <laughs> um, and then, so I woke up and I was like, oh my gosh, I think my water broke. And then I had a really strong contraction and I was like, it's happening. I was so happy. I don't even remember what happened after that. Like the next two hours are just total. I was just so happy that I was in labor. I think I took a shower, called my doula, called my parents. And so my doula got there at 3 a.m. And um, we walked to the hospital. She was like, I've never done this before. So it was great. I didn't have to get in the car. It was pseudo home birth like it was just two blocks away um and we got there and we got checked in and on my birth plan was also like no internal exams um I did though I did ask for one at the very beginning when I got admitted because I was just curious I'd been at a three at like 40 weeks what was I now and I was still at a three so I was like okay fine that's you know information um I got in the tub at 4.30. So we got all admitted. It's 4.30 in the morning. I'm at a three. I'm in the tub. I'm Nobody's sending me home. They're like, yeah, you're in labor. Decline the IV. Everybody left me alone. We turned the lights out. My other two babies were born during the day. So this was different for me to have like a nighttime labor. My husband put up Christmas lights. Um, and I got in the tub and I put on my playlist that I'd listened to all through pregnancy. And I was like, this is not going well. <laughs> the, the contractions were already on top. They were on top of each other. And I was like, I can't do this for like eight or 12 or 24 hours. Like what is happening? And I just, the the water was not, a relief to me it had been for my first two and it wasn't this time and I was like kind of fighting panic like this I'm at three centimeters and I feel like this like this is what is happening and I got out of the tub and I got um and with this doula and the doctor I also said no lithotomy position (laughs) making this very clear like we are not doing this and um so my midwife or I mean my doula set up the bed so that I could be on all fours. Um, and like my top half was draped over an exercise ball. And um, the first few contractions, I was like really tensing up still. And um, I was just like, this is, this is too much. And I could tell from everybody else that like, okay, this is going to go quickly. (laughs) But in my head, I was still like, I can't do this for hours. This is really intense. And I think I was just immediately in transition um, because I I went from three to baby in two hours. And so, (laughs) yeah, it it was a lot with my water broken. Um, But I did, I I calmed down. 
the lights were down. The doctor was just hanging out in the corner. Um, uh, nobody was touching me. Like I did not have to wear the monitor. Um, I, I was just in my own little zone. My doula was on one side, my husband was on the other side. Like every contraction, I was squeezing his hand really hard. And just like, I finally got in the zone. It took me a little time. I was very panicked at first, but I finally got in the zone and um, I could hear myself like starting to kind of grunt to it. I was just breathing every, you know, like every contraction, just like low moaning. And, and I knew from the other, this was how I delivered the other two was, you know, when I got high pitched and panicked, I had to like go low again. And so I was utilizing all those tools that I'd utilized before, but this time I was on all fours. So it was a lot more comfortable. Um, and then at one point, like when the groaning was getting pretty distinctive, somebody, I don't remember if it was the doctor or the nurse or the doula, but somebody was like, do you want to scoot your knees back a little bit? And I was like, the head is out oh, <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> yeah. So, so fetal ejection reflex, like zero pushing whatsoever. Um, and it was, it felt so much better than being on my back. Like I cannot even, all three of them were unmedicated and this one on all fours was like so much better. I just can't even, I mean, it was horrible in the moment, but it, it didn't feel um, like I was fighting gravity or like not, it, it, I was just like, okay, when like the baby's going down and it's just going to keep going down and it's fine. Um, and the doctor later, they told me, of course, I'm in my own little world later. My husband was like, the doctor was just, so he's just so sweet. He's such a kind guy. And he was just standing in the corner and he said, every time that you had a contraction, he would like, like sway and like do a little dance while, cause I was like, swaying my hips while and they were like everybody was just in the zone with you and it was great and nobody was touching you and you were just doing your thing and my husband actually said later like you this was like an actual natural childbirth he said I had no idea like you had three unmedicated births but the first two just felt so different wow and yeah so this one was really it it really was everything I could have wanted except it was at the hospital, which I really didn't want. Um, and so um, he, I guess this is where you might insert a trigger warning that it, it got a little bit scary after this. Mm -hmm. We're all fine. But um, so the head came out and so the doctor rushes over. I was on all fours with a blanket draped over me. So it was like a surprise to everybody that the head was out. <laughs> but I was just so in the zone. And so the doctor rushes over, pulls the blanket off. And I think I had another contraction. And he was like, I'm going to need you to like push again. And so then immediately I shift back into my nurse brain. I'm like, oh my gosh, like shoulder dystocia, some, you know, weird cord placement, something. And I was like, oh, geez. So I push and He's like, that wasn't a real push. You need to push again. And so I pushed again. And um, and he came out really easily, though. It was just like two or three pushes on my own. And the doctor said, which I thought was really poignant. He point, poignant? He said, if you'd been in any other position, it would have been a shoulder dystocia. But as it was, um, and he said it actually wasn't a shoulder dystocia. It was the baby coming out with his hand above his head. Mm -hmm. So it was just that awkward angle it wasn't actually his shoulder so but he came out and it was so much more comfortable than my other babies coming out <laughs> even crazy. though he was 
yeah. with a nuchal hand, yeah, so more comfortable. <laughs> but it just like slid out, and um, yeah, because I wasn't I wasn't fighting gravity, and I was in a good position, and um, I then so a lot of pregnancy, I when I would take baths at night, like at the end of a bath, I would get on all fours because I really wanted a water birth. So I would be on all fours and like just envision the baby coming out and like pulling the baby to me, like between my legs and up and I'm going to tear up. I just, I really wanted to catch my own baby and I didn't, I didn't get to do that. And, um, but still I was like, you know what? I'm already on fours. I'm like, guys, hand me my baby between my legs. <laughs> like I just, so I still kind of got to do that. Um, even though I didn't catch him and it wasn't in the water, I still got to like move through what I'd been envisioning, which was like pulling him up and laying on my side and holding him. And, um, and so it was great. I was like, that was the most intense thing that has ever happened. That was so fast. <laughs> I like the sun wasn't even up yet. I, I was just like, I, okay. All right. He's here. Finally. <laughs> It was like a the opposite of a hurry up and wait situation. Like we just waited and waited and then he hurried up. Um, so everything was fine at that point. And I was still having contractions and waiting for the placenta to come out. And um, I felt what I thought was the placenta come out. I was like, oh, the placenta came out. And they were like, mm, that's a blood clot. And at that point, like the tone in the room changed and I could tell they were like, we're going to need to get the placenta out. And it came out on its own a few contractions later and a lot of blood came with it. And they were like, okay, like this is not, you know, so um, they're pushing down on my uterus, which is firm and hard and contracted. And the doctor's like, I know you didn't want internal exams, but we're going to have to see where the bleeding is coming from because your uterus is firm. And I was like, that's fine. Do what you need to do. Mm -hmm. So he looked and he said, your cervix has torn. And he said, it, it's not really even torn. It's just an abrasion, but it's bleeding a lot. And, and he was so calm. Like the tone had changed, but it was still, I did not feel panicked. Physically, I felt fine still I was just having afterbirth contractions and he was like if if we can't get the bleeding to stop we're gonna have to do stitches and I was like I don't really want cervical stitches with no pain medication on board and he was like okay well we're gonna try to pack it and thankfully the bleeding stopped without stitches pretty quickly um and then everything was fine I still felt fine there was no sense of emergency and he was like, you lost about a liter of blood, which is a lot in a short amount of time. When, but when we like, have like five of them, that's... Yes, that's it's a lot of blood. <laughs> yeah, but I was like, okay, I feel fine. Like, potential emergency over. Great. So, um, probably it was an hour after he was born that I sat up in bed to feed him for the first time. And I like reclined in the bed. And all I remember saying is like, I feel really lightheaded. And then the next thing I remember was like, I'm flat on my back and the doula is fanning my face. And it was that feeling of waking up from surgery. If you've ever had surgery, that's like how much time even passed. Yeah. And that was very scary. I'd never passed out before. Um, and, you know, everybody's coming in and my blood pressure is like 60 over 40, really low. And but I, I recovered from that and 
chugged a bunch of water. I didn't have an IV at that point, and I still didn't. Since I recovered, I felt like I didn't need one. My blood pressure yeah. was coming back up. It's fine. So I chugged a bunch of, like, I'd already drank my adrenal cocktail by that point. So, like, my doula had a bunch of, like, liquid IV maybe. So I chugged a bunch of electrolyte water and was like, okay, it's, it's going to be fine. And then a few hours later, I sat up again and, like, almost passed out. And my blood pressure plummeted again. And at that point, I was like, can you guys put an IV in me and give me some IV fluids and... And I said, and Pitocin. And I wish that I had not said and Pitocin. And I wish that somebody had argued with me about that because I didn't. But they were almost like, they weren't afraid of me, but they were like, she doesn't want to be touched. We're not going to touch her. Mm-hmm. But I was like, actually, in a medical situation, my doctor was like in clinic by this point. He'd been awake all night with me and then he had to go to clinic. So it was just the nurses there. And I was like, somebody probably should have told me I didn't need Pitocin. Like, I wasn't actively bleeding. My uterus was contracted. So that comes into play a little bit later. But anyways, at the time, I got the Pitocin. I got the fluids. Um, I felt rough. I felt very tired. I was mostly nursing him and sidelining for the rest of the hospital stay because I didn't want to pass out again. Um, Getting up to the bathroom was like an aerobic activity. Um, So when I got discharged the next day, at first I didn't even want to stay the night. That was on my birth plan too. Like I would like to go home before 24 hours if I can. But I think my doctor, after I lost all that blood, I was like, I'll spend the night. And my doctor was like, okay, good. He wasn't going to make, he wasn't going to make me, but I think he was very glad that I did. So the next morning they, they drew my labs and he was like, listen, you qualify for a blood transfusion. And I was like, I don't want a blood transfusion. I just want to go home. Like I have a freezer full of bone broth and beef liver supplements. It's fine. And I was like, I have a plan to be in bed for a week or two. It's fine. And so I went home and and did all the things. And then about just over 24 hours after being home, I had, I don't even know if it was, I don't think it was a, it wasn't purely a panic attack. It was physically triggered, but I was just, I got up to go to the bathroom, which again, aerobic activity and came back. And I was like, I think I need to go back to the hospital right now. And my husband, like, I mean, the look on his face was just like, what is happening? So we called 911 and the paramedics came and like carried me down the stairs on a stretcher. And I had to get readmitted and have three units of blood. And um, that was probably the, the passing out and the readmission were kind of what ended up registering us traumatic so the birth itself was fine it was great actually and then it just kind of went downhill from there for me Mm, wow and so in the meantime so it's been seven months how did that color your postpartum and Mm -hmm. then what have you done um to to integrate that experience Mm mm-hmm yeah, I. it's funny that you say integrate because that's how I've been thinking of it too because you can't like rewrite history, you know, as much as you want to. Yeah. Like, oh, I could have done this or that or the other differently. Um, the reason I mentioned the Pitocin was because I'm like, one of my problems was I was starting to, I was having really fluctuating um, heart rates and blood pressures for weeks afterwards. And I'm like, was that the Pitocin? Yeah, right. Or was it simple? Was it simply that I lost a lot of blood? And I mean, there's there's no way to know. Your body's trying to compensate for low blood volume and and all the things. But um, 
So I was having like nightly panic attacks at that point. I was just pretty sure that I was going to die like every night. (laughs) Um, I even to the point where I like wrote letters to all my kids and my husband, because I was like, I'm not not going to make it out of the fourth trimester. I was not in a good place. Um, And it would be associated with physical symptoms. Like I think my blood pressure would get high every evening and then I would start to panic. Um, and, And part of it is probably the body, like remembering those, what happened the last time your blood pressure swung around. And, um, so that was, Oh gosh, every night for several weeks, the doctor prescribed Adorax for me, which is like actually an antihistamine, but it's a little bit anti-anxiety as well. And Mm -hmm. that would help take the edge off, but it's a very short-term prescription. Um, It doesn't solve the problem. And so I um, really dove into, I was just like, this is unsustainable. I was not having suicidal ideations at all but I was like I cannot I cannot live like this Mm -hmm. like panicking all the time um so I kind of dove in and I don't know that I would recommend that for everybody but I'm thankful that I already had a a network of of counseling and a background of trauma recovery and different aspects and so I had tools at my disposal that I probably wouldn't have had after the first two kids so um I did the first time I had a counseling appointment um, virtually postpartum. I made my husband sit in the room with me, though, because I was like, I'm going to hyperventilate when I tell my birth story and I don't want to pass out and I need somebody else here. And um, it was just like nothing else I've experienced. And so it was very physical, like the episode you had just last week maybe with the midwife about trauma like the trauma is physical um and and I could know in my head like the story wasn't that bad but all I could think of was like I had no warning and I passed out and like what if I had never woken up that was the that was like the hinge of the trauma for me um just totally out of control in my body and so um I realized talk therapy is not going to work very well right now because I couldn't move out of that space. And so I had been getting craniosacral therapy during pregnancy and um, she thankfully was a, there. Are, everybody's different in how they practice, but she was very willing to integrate like the emotional. Um, I went in postpartum and I just like started crying. <laughs> mm-hmm. She was like, Oh my gosh, like what? And so I kind of gave her the basics, but I was laying there and she was like, have you been shaking constantly since, since your readmission? And I was like, yes, like just constantly shaking. And so she was able to address that and like kind of take my body out of fight or flight without having to talk through it or replay it or um, anything like that. And that was really pivotal for me. Wow. So, mm-hmm. so you did CST. Was there anything mm-hmm. else that really stuck out to you as super helpful in just bringing your body back to homeostasis? Um, another thing was along the same lines, my doula told me about a friend of hers who did trauma massage, which I don't even know if that's like a formal term. <laughs> um, cool. She doesn't advertise as such, but I went in and I was like, uh, my doula told me that you do trauma massage. So so she did. And I think she's just incorporating fascial massage into her tra- um, massage practice. And 
or fascial techniques. And um, it was very bizarre. I, we barely talked because it's a massage. But at one point I felt like I, it sounds weird, but I, it might like my whole head got tingly and cold. And I was like, what is happening? And she said, your body's just, it's just releasing trauma. It's like, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, <Bye>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But those two things really helped me get to a place where I could talk about it without freaking out. Yeah. So I couldn't even, I couldn't even move through the story until I felt safer in my body again. Yeah. And those helped a lot. That makes so much yes. sense. But it was like, mm -hmm. I needed to get to a place where I could just be okay before even processing mm -hmm. like the events. I totally resonate yes. with that. Yes. And then I was able to work with um, um, Teresa Piela. I had worked with her through pregnancy as well. And we did a few tapping sessions too. And those would just give me, I was still panicking at night at that point, but I at least would have the memory of knowing that I could shift out of it. Yeah. And it started giving me hope that I don't have to feel like that forever. <laughs> um, By the time that this uh, yeah. episode releases, there yeah. will have been an episode with Teresa. Oh, so that's, that's perfect. Be, yeah, that's episode. It'll be episode okay. 187. So anyone who's listening oh, to this okay. now, if you don't know what she's talking about, go listen okay. to episode 187. Oh, that's amazing. That's perfect timing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So um, those things helped. And can, I was doing them pretty intensively. My doctor, of course, I massively failed my, he's a family practice doctor. So um, we got, you know, we just kept, which was really great. Mm -hmm. So every, every pediatrician appointment that you have to go to, he was like, how are you doing? He was like, your baby's fine. <laughs> how are you doing? And I, I really appreciated his care throughout. And he was very willing to take me seriously. Like this point I've met my deductible. I've been readmitted to the hospital. I've had a baby like, <laughs> It's almost the end of the year. Let's get your CT scan. Let's get your EKG. Because I was very like medical anxiety. Like I'm going to have exacerbated by the world of COVID, right? I was just like, I'm going to get a blood clot. I'm going to have a pulmonary embolism. I'm like very, very specific fears. Yes. And he was like, you know what? If you want to rule them all out, let's rule them all out. And wow. it was it was very helpful. And he even... We even did a, a uterine ultrasound because he said sometimes when people, the only thing they can tell me is that they don't feel like themselves. They have like retained placenta or a retained blood clot or something. He was very thorough. Wow. I was very, I was very impressed. Like, yeah, let's rule it all out. I love family <laughs> for, doctors. For, Man. I know. He, he was just such a gift. And he was not a new doctor, but he was new to this location. And I think that was very um very fortuitous um mm -hmm. and uh, fellow christian i mean he's he's a great guy um so he though i failed my postpartum depression screen by a lot and he was like can you just start some so i mean he was like begging me like can you please start some so loft i was like i've taken these things in the past whole different episode but i was like i really don't want to but I did also, I did reach a point where I'd stabilized a little bit, but I just wasn't like maintaining the ground that I was gaining. And I thought, okay, like, sure, I'll take the Zoloft. I took, he prescribed like the smallest dose you can prescribe and I still just took half of it. And then, but like, and I was not expecting this reaction. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to take it for 
like 12 weeks and just use it as a bridge, which is fine and appropriate and how it's meant to be used. But um, I had like a major, major anxiety attack at that night. And I was like, I can't, I can't do this so lot. And I was kind of sad. Like I just yeah. wanted this to work and take mm-hmm. the edge off. Um, I eventually found, um, have you heard of NAPRO fertility? It's like a, like a Catholic. Yep. Uh, I have a great friend for- who is a practitioner. Yeah. yeah. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So um, Omaha, we live outside of Omaha and Omaha is a very um, Catholic city with a lot of <laughs> NAPRO providers that people travel to see. So um, I went to one of them for the postpartum depression protocol that they have, which um, I'd heard about, but never, I probably could have benefited with it from the other babies, but I didn't do it. Um, it's just progesterone injections for like every other day for five days. And um, I was already cycling just to add insult to injury, like at eight weeks. So they time it with your cycle. And yeah, so, but the, so what made me go get the injections, this was by four months postpartum, but what made me get the injections was that because I was cycling, I was like, I feel really horrible in the first half of my cycle and much more normal in the second half of my cycle so I was like this is that's weird (laughs) yes like this is hormonal not not serotonin um and so that was another big leap for me to just feel a lot safer in my body now I get panicky like just right before ovulation like when my progesterone is the lowest um so that helped me too in just a physical sense yeah. And and yeah. then also just that ability to know, like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm getting panicky right now. Yes. I'm about to ovulate. This is yes. a hormonal event happening in my body. Mm-hmm. Like, just being yes. able to kind of like put words to what is happening, I can mm-hmm. imagine for me that would be really comforting. I don't know if that's what you've experienced. Yes, very much so. Because my one of my fears in the beginning was like, I'm going to feel like this forever. Mm-hmm. And then I would spiral like, man, how did women living on the frontier feel like, like do this after a traumatic childbirth without resources? Like, I get really empathetic when I'm not in a good place. <laughs> um, and then I just feel the fear of like Everybody. all the women who have ever... Yes. Yes. So those were things that helped me. Um, And really, in a sense, I'm only just now working with a like perinatal specific counselor to address like the actual story of it. Yeah. So yeah. Wow, Therese, this has Mm -hmm. been I mean, your story is fascinating and and helpful on so many levels. I think that some of the big things that you touched on that were really, really helpful is number one, that idea of the people pleasing. You know, I, I mm-hmm. thought about that a lot, you know, just this, like we become, when we have that tendency, it can be really hard when we're in that position mm-hmm. of like an authority figure over us. We want to like do the right thing. Um, so mm-hmm. that was really, really a, a helpful discussion. Something else that mm-hmm. I was thinking about is just the way that you know, you had an event, an unexpected event with your third pregnancy where mm-hmm. your your midwife was suddenly no longer an option. And mm-hmm. it could be really easy for someone to fall into victim mentality when that happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you, you didn't do anything. Like this mm-hmm. just happened to you. So for you to number one, grieve the fact that it happened and mourn it and not, not pretend mm-hmm. like it was fine. Like, no, that was very upsetting 
but then yeah. realize like, okay, I do still have choices though. You know, I could choose mm-hmm. to go to the hospital. I can choose an Airbnb. I can choose whatever. And then you made the choice that was best for you and proceeded mm-hmm. and had a beautiful birth. Mm-hmm. And then also like, even when we have a beautiful birth, that doesn't mean that everything goes right. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that there won't be some type of trauma or something for us to live through and work through and process mm-hmm. for, for quite some time. Um, so mm-hmm. I think that these are really, really beautiful lessons for us to acknowledge. And it's hard, like it's hard, it's hard when it's hard, you know, like, I mean, that's yes. <laughs> nobody yeah. wants to have something tough to work mm-hmm. through. But I think it's so empowering and encouraging how you did work through it and how Mm -hmm. you are working through it. And you have taken it seriously every step of the way you Mm -hmm. have known, like there are things that need to to change. There are things that I need to do. And you've played a very Mm -hmm. active role in your healing. So I think that that Mm -hmm. is really empowering and really helpful for, for other mothers to hear as well. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. I hope so. Yeah, I I did feel stuck for a while because I was like, I I don't know what I could have done differently. When I look back at maybe my second delivery, I was like, there are a lot of things I could have done differently. But this one, like, what on earth? Maybe I could have not asked for Pitocin, but there, I mean, there was nothing I could have done differently. And that was so frustrating for me as like a control freak. (laughs) Like two plus two is supposed to equal four. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, it just it, it doesn't always work out the way that we're expecting, but that mm-hmm. ability to say, okay, I it didn't. It didn't work out the way I expected and now mm-hmm. this is what I'm going to do. You know, now I'm going yes. to put this plan into action and and you really showed that really beautifully throughout your story. Um yeah. It's been an honor to have you, Therese. This, yeah, thank you. It's so fun to talk to you. We have so much in common. Yes. <laughs> Just yes. on all of the different fronts. Um, mm-hmm. So being able to really sit down, especially after I feel like I I knew a lot about what was going on during your pregnancy mm-hmm. and, and towards the end, especially during this birth. So to hear how it unfolded and hear how you are processing and recovering has been really beneficial to me. So Thank you. It's been such a blessing to have you. Thank you so much for coming on the Happy Homebirth Podcast. Thank you. It's just, it's a gift to have the whole, the whole story. What a beautiful story with Therese. As we head into this week's episode roundup, I was hit with several thoughts throughout this interview that I wanted to share with you here. Number one, despite my great love and desire for mothers to know about home birth as an option, that does not automatically mean that home is the best option for everyone. The best option for a mother is for her to give birth where she feels safest and most comfortable. We are asking our bodies to open up and to be fully vulnerable. If they are most comfortable doing that in a hospital, well, there is absolutely no shame in that. Next, the people pleaser tendency. This is very common in pregnancy and birth, and it's something we need to be aware of so that we can prepare ourselves beforehand. Strengthening our boundaries during pregnancy can be incredibly useful. And yes, that is something we focus on deeply inside of the Home Birth Collective. And finally, birth can be beautiful and still have complications. There can still be traumas after something amazing and lovely. Therese shared so many wonderful ways that she's been able to integrate her experience in these last months, and I will be posting them in the show notes. Okay, my friends, that's all I've got for you for today. 
Thank you so much for tuning in to Milk and Motherhood today. Don't forget to check out the show notes for links to some of the things we talked about. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends or leave a review to help other people find us here. As always, you can find me on Instagram at happy.mama.healthy.baby or on the internet at happymamahealthybaby.co. See you next time.